0: Distinguished listeners, it's finally time. The sequel to everyone's favorite episode, Books That Should Be Movies. Woo! We're finally here. The people have spoken. They want more.
1: Oh, yeah. This episode that really was created just to switch up our normal format has become our most downloaded episode, so thank you. By far. (laughs) It really blew us away.
0: So we wanted to do a sequel. It took us two years, but we're finally here. Hi, welcome to Film is Lit, the full spoilers podcast where we usually take a piece of literature and compare and contrast it to its film, our television adaptation, but this episode is a little bit different. My name is Danny he, him, I'm the self-appointed film expert.
1: And my name is Laura, she, her, the self-appointed literature expert.
0: Yeah, so we're back with a special episode. Two years ago, as Laura was saying, we kind of did this little mini, well, we wanted it to be mini. It turned out to be a mega Mm -hmm. (laughs) episode. But yeah, books that we thought should be adapted into movies. Lo and behold, it became our highest downloaded episode by a substantial margin Mm -hmm. and to this day it still is our Mm -hmm. most popular episode
1: yeah and we didn't really plan on taking a two-year break (laughs) from this format but it just so happened that the first time like danny was saying we did consider it a break and especially because i had read so many books you know this is the first time we'd ever done this and so i ended up leaning on a lot of books that i had read in the past so it was kind of an easy episode where it was like, oh, well, that, that book was really good. I'll just add that to the list. Right. For this one, we didn't just read five books each and they were all bangers that we were excited to throw on the big screen. Unfortunately, we read a lot of stinkers each, I think, Yep. and a lot that I think that we read that were good but perhaps did not lend themselves to an adaptation.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah, so it took us a long time and there was a lot of cramming in the last couple months. For sure. (laughs) Oddly enough, even though we had two years to to study.
0: (laughs) We graduated a long time ago, but still it it feels like we're cramming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I echo your journey there, Laura. There were so many times where I read a book that was riveting Mm -hmm. and I would recommend to anyone but it's just not the right fit for cinema. And I imagine screenwriters go through this problem daily Mm -hmm. when they're looking for stuff to adapt if they're not writing something original. For sure. I mean, it is really hard. And yes, read a ton of stinkers. Yeah. A lot which were recommended to us on TikTok. Thanks a lot, (laughs) TikTok. (laughs) But you know what? I also found some gems in here. Yeah. We each have five picks, just like the last time. Neither of us know each other's picks. Yeah. And for each choice, we're going to quickly give the synopsis, tell a little bit about why it would make a great movie, and maybe give some potential casting or directors, fill out the production team a bit, if we have that info.
1: Yeah, I sprinkled some choices in. Yeah. We'll see.
0: It was tough, because... With the first episode, it was like, okay, what are our five favorite books that haven't been adapted into a movie yet? But with this, we read a lot of new stuff, a lot of old stuff, stuff in between. And again, it was a tough journey, but a journey we'd gladly do again if this episode gets the same amount of downloads as the last.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So come back.
0: Yeah. So we're going to try to stick to around five minutes each. For each choice that we, we present, after we go into our little spiel about our picks, we'll have a one to two minute discussion about it, and then we'll move on. We could talk for hours about all our choices, and we believe really me, good. we yeah. do off mic, Yeah. <laughs> but alas, we must keep it to a digestible two hours here.
1: We'll try to flag spoilers too. I think we'll probably have to wade into them at some point just because we might have some critiques or suggestions on how we might want things adapted. Mm-hmm. Um, but sorry in advance if you wanted to read something and we just blatantly ruined the book for you. Right. I, I hope it doesn't happen, but it may.
0: Right, yeah. We always say we're a full spoilers podcast. So...
1: Yeah, but this is a little different just because it'll be like every single one there might be spoilers built in. So just be aware. <laughs> hey,
0: it's about the journey, not the destination. Am That's I right? true.
1: That's true. I like a lot of movies that I knew the twist. We also decided to list the top five books that we chose in our first installment of this special episode because we figured a lot of people had listened a couple years ago but may not remember and don't want to go back and listen to the whole thing. So we're just going to do a quick back and forth to remind everybody of what our adaptations would be. And unfortunately, I think every single one has still not been touched. (laughs) Yet. Yet. Yes. Yeah. So uh, go ahead and kick us off.
0: All right. My first pick was The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones, which has been optioned.
1: Oh, has it?
0: But has not been, it's not in production yet.
1: Okay. Yeah. My first choice was Less that was published in 2017 by Andrew Sean Greer.
0: My second choice was Call It Courage, written by Armstrong Sperry.
1: My second choice was Invisible Man, came out in 1952 by Ralph Ellison.
0: My third choice was Theodore Rex, the biography on President Teddy Roosevelt, written by Edmund Morris in 2001.
1: My third choice, this was actually a call for a remake but I would like to see In Cold Blood updated. Came out in 1966, written by Truman Capote. Nice.
0: My fourth pick was The Freeze Frame Revolution, written by Peter Watts.
1: My fourth pick was An American Marriage. Came out in 2018 by Tiari Jones.
0: And my fifth pick was the sci-fi novel Transport, written by Philip P. Peterson in 2017. I did read the sequels. To this series, not good. I was hoping oh, to that's a bummer. pick one of them for this episode. Unfortunately, it was a big time waster. Wasted like two months reading these gosh darn sequels. So
1: yeah, that's, first book's good though. That's a bummer. Uh, my fifth and final pick was the short story, The Storm, which was published in 1898 by Kate Chopin.
0: All right. Those were our picks. So Let's get into the meat of this episode.
1: Buckle up, baby.
0: All right. I've got my stopwatch.
1: All right. Put five minutes on there, but I doubt <laughs> I doubt we're going to stick to that.
0: All right. Ladies first, Laura. Oh, okay. What is your first pick? You're on the clock.
1: Okay. My first pick comes with a preamble. I have to thank my brother-in-law, Tim for suggesting this book series mm. to me. Um, this was his favorite, and I'd heard him talk about it before ad nauseum. And he actually gave me the full set of books for Christmas. wouldn't
0: shut up about he it. He honestly no, wouldn't
1: shut the fuck <laughs> up about it. Um, but yeah, I do yeah, have to great. give all the credit to Tim for pointing me toward this series. I would like to see Red Rising yes. adapted. This book came out in 2014. By Pierce Brown Mm -hmm. and it is the first in a series of I think seven and I believe the seventh or eighth book is coming out soon. I don't know that I see this being adapted into a movie. I actually think that this would need to be a television show. Agreed. Because this is an epic. (laughs) Yeah oh yeah. It's a sort of a fantasy dystopian epic and I'll just take you through a quick summary Darrow is a red, one of the miners, who toil beneath the surface of Mars as part of humanity's effort to terraform. Soon he discovers that he's been betrayed, and humanity tamed the surface generations ago. Angered, Darrow leaves his red life behind and joins the shadowy organization known as the Sons of Ares. With his appearance changed and his mind enhanced, Darrow is tasked with infiltrating the world of the gods, and rising to a position of power within their strict hierarchy so that he may destroy the society from within. So, I feel like even just from the summary, you can see how the stakes have been raised a little bit mm-hmm. from Hunger Games, even though it's not a fight to the death necessarily. It's more of a fight to teach yeah. the younger generation how this hierarchy is sort of like a natural state of being which is interesting because i think that's kind of like a key of an oppressive society is like showing that the upper crust deserves to be up on the top yeah and the other thing that i think keys up the tension is that at every turn every single day every single thing even the way darrow speaks could give him away as an imposter yeah so this is a really fun story and I think what I want to happen to this is it would have to be a television show. Mm. So I'm kind of breaking our rule a little bit because this in my opinion, and you probably agree, would not work as a movie. Agreed. Even even as like a two-parter like Dune, it would not work. Yeah. Because there's so much more after this. And the first book really ends with Darrow overcoming, I'll just leave it there, overcoming a lot. But the revolution has not started yet yeah so there's just a lot to dig in here i mostly like everything about it i would change a few things for example i think it's fairly heteronormative and i kind of want there to be less of like all of the men are masculine all of the women are super feminine. But then there's one like tomboy character, you yes. know, that becomes Darrow's sidekick. I don't love that stuff. I just want it to be a little bit more gender neutral. Sure. I think the female characters are a little bit underwritten, which tends to be a chronic issue for male writers to not yeah. develop Especially female, female characters. Yeah, sci-fi, yeah. Yeah. And the supporting character Mustang is really cool, but again, just kind of that like stereotypic tomboy yeah. trope that I think really needs to be developed further for a female actress or any gender actress to really sink their teeth into. Yeah. So there are a couple of things that I would change, but overall I think this would be a really intense, fun sci-fi show. I think it would be streaming service bait.
0: HBO Max for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, HBO
1: Max. That um, is your
0: five minutes. Do you have any cast or director? Oh
1: shoot, that ran out really quick. Um... Okay, potential cast is hard because it's kind of hard to know younger actors because this even the first book takes place over the, a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe Darrow was like 16 when we meet him and I just can't really pull up anyone super young like that. I came up with Tyler Posey as an option oh, for okay. Darrow. All I right. really like him. Yeah. But then I'm more excited about my casting choice for Mustang. Mm. I would love to see Sadie Sink
0: Ooh. cast as
1: Mustang. Love um,
0: that pick, Lore. She,
1: she is great actor. Um, she should have been nominated for the Whale, but she is young. Yeah. And in that case, maybe I'm I'm second guessing Tyler Posey because he's about our age. Um, but in any case, I think she would be a slam dunk for that role.
0: Excellent.
1: So, so that's my first choice. I'm in. Yeah. All in. Greenlit. 30
0: mil per episode.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it would have to be kind of a sweeping thing. So buckle up for a big budget. (laughs) All right. what's, What's up for you?
0: My first pick is Five Decembers by James Kestrel. Okay. Published in 2021. Synopsis. December 1941. America teeters on the brink of war. And in Honolulu, police detective Joe McGrady is assigned to investigate a homicide that will change his life forever. The trail of murder he uncovers will lead him across the Pacific, far from home, and the woman he loves. And though the U.S. doesn't know it yet, a Japanese fleet is already heading towards Pearl Harbor. This is more than a gripping crime story. It's a story of survival against all odds, of love and loss, and the human cost of war. Ooh. Five decembers. And I forgot to start my clock. We'll, we'll take a minute <laughs> off. All right. Yeah. So I think this book is a genuine masterpiece outside of. A few books that we've read for this podcast. It's one of my new favorite books mm. of all time.
1: That's high praise. Yeah, it,
0: it won't beat out like 11-22-63 or mm-hmm. Dune or mm-hmm. Rosemary's Baby or anything like that. But it sideways. is sideways <laughs> as well. But it is up there for again a non-podcast related book. Nice. Yeah, but I feel like I'm Stefan here. This book has everything, right? <laughs> it's not only a gripping crime mystery noir but it's also an action book it's an action adventure mm-hmm. book like mm-hmm. globe trotting it's a book about war mm-hmm. world war Two. it has some romance in there mm-hmm. and yes some melodrama we all need Uh-oh. some melodrama but <laughs> it really has everything you could want a compelling story compelling characters compelling settings and it's well written mm-hmm. you know the writing is it's short, it's cut down to a razor, no excess. I-, I love that kind of style. It's like if Ernest Hemingway had adapted a, mm. a noir, right? Mm-hmm. It's descriptive without feeling verbose. The words flow like a nice, smooth glass of whiskey. I wrote that down. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's, it's great. Uh, James Kestrel is a pseudonym for Jonathan Moore. Um, I haven't read any other Jonathan Moore book, but mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to check out more of this author um i think a great director for this would be damien chazelle
1: oh interesting yeah i I wouldn't have chosen him yeah Yeah.
0: well whiplash this is a film bro take but is amazing Mm. one of the best films ever made i admire la la land and first man from a directorial standpoint, even Mm -hmm. though I have some issues with both films. Uh, Babylon is nuts. It's a similar type of epic like this would be. Mm -hmm. And I think in Babylon, even though I love the film, it kind of got away from him at points. And he kind of, you know, was a little immature in parts or a little, Mm. it was too much about excess, even though that was the point, It, it was too much. So I think a nice restrained script, maybe from Jonathan Moore would rein chazelle in a mm, bit mm-hmm. and i think he's proven he can do epics now he needs to do this kind of like hard-boiled restrained still sumptuous and fun but nonetheless still restrained uh, epic i i think that's really what we need so i think the movie would thrive at like two to two hours and 20 minutes. I think Mm -hmm. that's the perfect, you know, it needs to be long, but not too long, not Mm -hmm. over long. Mm -hmm. I think two and a half hours would be pushing it.
1: Nice. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's about it. Uh, Go, go check it out. It's, Mm -hmm. it's just a great throwback novel, but it's also very contemporary at the same time. It's fun.
1: Yeah. Nice. Oh, December's. you're, uh, you're making me want to read it. So well done.
0: Thank you. All right.
1: Yeah, we're just whipping right through these. Um, So my second choice is actually a short story called The Second Coming. (laughs) It came out in 1966. Um, I would be surprised if anyone had read this short story because I discovered it in a compilation of San Francisco thrillers. Mm. Just picked that up in Goodwill one time because I love me some san francisco <laughs>
0: yeah not um, to interrupt but i'm about to you read me one of the stories from this book chilling
1: that's right we chilling. did we read one that was sort of edgar Allan poe-esque yeah right before a, bed
0: too i had mm-hmm, nightmares yep
1: on a windy night in la it was super fun this is a really nice collection. Um, yeah. If anyone can find it, it has, yeah, a bunch of short stories. The common thread is that they all take place in San Francisco. So The Second coming was written by Joe Gorez, And the summary is super quick. Two burnouts looking for kicks go to see an execution at San Quentin Prison. Mm. So I like a lot about this short story. Part of it is because I, it's, it felt very topical because mm-hmm. I had just read two articles put out by NPR and NBC about the staff experience of putting an inmate to death. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of research about these people whose responsibility it is to actually carry out this action. Mm-hmm. And the more that they are interviewed, the more we learn about the intense responsibility that is on people who aren't even necessarily connected to the crime. Mm -hmm. So I really like that I had just read those two articles and then bringing in these two sort of flippant, you know, rich jokesters who just have nothing better to do than to go top all of their other experiences by going to an execution Mm -hmm. was really insightful. And I like that they both come out extremely changed. The second friend actually kind of has a mental break because it's like too much for him. And the other character just kind of turns inward. I just think that really highlights, again, like what I, I, this won't surprise anybody, but I'm against the death penalty. And part of Mm -hmm. it is because it's such a, it's an inhumane act. It's against the human rights of the person who's actually being murdered by the state but again the step backward to look at the people who actually have to carry that out but also people who are just in the room observing it there's really nothing i don't like about this short story other than the fact that the one thing that seemed kind of strange was that the guards act like this is just their job and they do it all the time so they're not affected by it and i think after reading these articles If this were to be adapted, I would change it so that they are also, they sort of give off this vibe that they are very affected, Mm. just to sort of update a little bit, because I think in the 60s, like, that wouldn't necessarily have been something that they would have talked about. So I want to see that reflected a little bit more. Right. But other than that, yeah, I, I think, you know, we just need to expand the backstory of these two main characters to sort of give it a little bit of mean i think this would be a perfect like 90 minute independent film
0: Mm, nothing better than a tight 90 minutes
1: yeah and as far as a potential cast i don't have anyone in particular in mind because i just want to see like i just want this to be like a discovery film yeah where we just get a whole new set of cast perhaps this Academy Award fodder, but it doesn't need to be. I just yeah. want to see new, fresh faces, like, dig deep, Hollywood. <laughs> I I just want to see, you know, a very intense statement piece on sure. how affecting and inhumane the death penalty is. So The Second Coming, it's probably, it's probably available as a PDF online. If you Google it, you can read sure. it. Yeah, I highly suggest it.
0: Seems it. like a nice little, like, $5 million... Budgeted. It could be. Indie. Yeah. It
1: could be. It's out there. It's sitting out there for anybody who wants to make it. So.
0: Voice is Crota by Owl Like the Bird, Going Back, Native American author, written in 1996. Synopsis It's called Crota, and it has awakened. Sheriff Skip Harding is called out to investigate a double homicide, unlike any. He has seen before. The bodies have been torn to pieces in the woods. Some think it's a bear, but others whisper something different. It's Crota, they say, the great beast of Native American legend that one day will reawaken. Now, that day has arrived.
1: Ooh, okay. Yeah,
0: so this is a monster story, Mm. yes, Mm -hmm. And the plot is nothing that we haven't seen or read before. Mm -hmm. However, what is novel about this is that it revolves around Native American legend, which, as far as I know, has never really been covered in a monster slasher type film.
1: Right? What about about the new Predator?
0: Yes, you're right. Okay. (laughs) Yes, it has.
1: Can't catch me off guard.
0: <laughs> but this, so that is the predator in a Native American setting. But this is revolves around.
1: Oh, okay. So the, the origin story, yes. is rooted yeah. in indigenous culture. Yeah,
0: and you know what it reminded me a lot of was the movie The Northman, which came out last year, oh, the yeah. Viking movie. No,
1: yeah, I didn't see that.
0: So in that film, it's not about Norse mythology. But the gods that they pray to are real, like Mm. in their universe, Mm -hmm. the Viking, you know, rituals and magic exist and are real. Mm -hmm. And it's not a film about that. It's just a part of it. That's what I really like about this book. It, It revolves around a Native American story and shamanism and spiritualism, mysticism, Native American lore. But it's also just a fantastic creature feature, right? Mm. And it's you know has a story of love, loss, and sacrifice, just like 5 Decembers. You know what I just realized? Both picks so far start with the double homicide. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> There's a theme here. But it, it is like just really fun, and it's 250 pages, so it, it flies by. It doesn't overstay its welcome. Yes, it doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it... Puts the wheel in a new context. Mm. And of course, I want to see more stories about minority groups, mm. obviously. But more than anything, Native American lore is just cool. The, the main character is half Native American, but he does have a sidekick who becomes more of the main character, Jay Littlehawk. And he's awesome. Mm. And he's a, a shaman. The book really gets heavy into the magic and spiritualism in the second half when they're in the creature's layer, which I don't Ooh. want to spoil anything more about that. It is extremely cinematic. Mm-hmm. It would work so well. I think people would flock to this because it takes something very familiar, adds a cool spin to it.
1: When was this published, did you say?
0: It was published in 1996.
1: Oh, wow. So this is another one that's just been on the shelf. Yeah. And nobody's picked it up.
0: Right, I, I, I see so much potential, and mm. the author, okay, Owl, going back, that's a sweet name. He, he has some more horror books that I think are, are super cool. Mm. So, so he'll yeah. be
1: going back to this author.
0: Yep, I think the person who should play Jay Littlehawk is the Native American actor Michael Gray Eyes. He's mm. super. He, he's great. Um, and then the director should be Lyle Mitchell Corbin Jr., who did a movie with... Michael Gray Eyes called Wild Indian, a little Mm. gritty thriller uh, that came out a few years ago. Very low budget, but fun. So yeah, that's my number two pick, Crota. Lore, your number three pick. You're on the clock.
1: Okay, I think this is funny. I think we're going to see a common thread, too, with my next few picks, probably inspired by the fact that you covered The Only Good Indians in the first installment, part one of this uh, Yeah. Of this special episode. My next choice is a short novel called Flight that came out in 2007 by Sherman Alexie. This is sort of speculative fiction. So this novel follows a character named Zitz. His real name is (laughs) Michael. And he's half Indian, half white foster child.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: This is probably, this is a book that gave me whiplash because I thought that it was traveling down this one road Mm -hmm. and then in the first like two chapters, suddenly it whiplashes you into a completely different narrative that you Mm -hmm. did not see coming. So basically he's a foster child who is just not being treated well by the system and he goes to prison and meets this kid who purports himself to be interested in you know justice and peace Mm -hmm. but unfortunately he is the opposite and he teaches Michael how to use a gun and because of all the rage that Michael has about the way that his life has gone he brings these guns to a bank in Seattle Mm -hmm. and begins a mass shooting so again even right there i was just like whoa like this is not what i was expecting but then as the cops show up and michael's actually killed it turns out that he actually like astral projects his consciousness into a new character Mm. so it's still michael but he's experiencing life in 1975 um through the the eyes of this cop. And now, so this actually happens about five times into about five different minds. Mm-hmm. And he learns different things as he goes through these life experiences, all of which also have a pretty massive trauma. And, and then every time he dies, hmm. uh he gets sort of jolted into the next body it's really like nothing i've ever read before yeah and i think that mostly what i got out of it i'm sure there are multiple ways of interpreting this but Mm -hmm. from what i got about it it's it's really about generational trauma and how that cycle is stopped so i think that this is an important story to be told not only in writing but also i think it could be really cinematic yeah i think that every single time he goes into some new body that in itself is really interesting because you have to change sets yeah and it would be really interesting to see all of these different consciousnesses yeah. <laughs> developed and also inhabited by michael so right. <laughs> complex but again really interesting i don't have a cast or a director just because I feel like this would have to be, like, a native production. But it's tough because I think that means that you'd also have to have a really high budget yeah. just because of all of the the sets and the costuming that you'd have to do, um, specifically because one of the storylines is in takes place in the Civil War. Um, one of them takes place in the Battle of Little Bighorns. So these are truly cool. huge set pieces. Yeah. And it it also talks a lot about like connecting with these people that seem vastly different. And then actually, so at the very end, I'll take you back to the very end. This is a little bit of a spoiler, but it takes you to right before Michael pulls the trigger and he makes a conscious decision to stop the cycle of trauma. And so it sort of helps that idea of like, everybody has a choice to have control over their life and take Mm -hmm. control of the, over their own destiny. Um, yeah, so I think that this would Fun. be a really interesting and kind of contemplative but also kind of an action adventure movie. Yeah.
0: Dealing with some very heavy subjects but in in a cinematic palatable way.
1: Yeah, I yeah, I'd just be really interested to see someone's vision of this. Yeah. It's a really good book too. Highly suggest reading awesome. it.
0: Awesome. Flight
1: I think I went over my five. <laughs> yeah,
0: just by a few seconds. Uh, we'll, right. We'll add it to my Cut me off. One. Cut me off. My third choice is the sci-fi novel called The Last Astronaut, written by David Wellington in 2019.
1: You have a sci-fi novel in here?
0: I know, finally. Oh,
1: my God.
0: I know. What a shocker. <laughs> so, synopsis. The year, 2052. Sally Jensen was NASA's leading astronaut. Until a mission to Mars ended in disaster. Haunted by her failure, she lives in quiet <laughs> anonymity. Anonymity. <laughs> anonymity. That's a hard nice. word to say. Um, <laughs> convinced her days in space are over, she's wrong. A large alien object has entered the solar system on a straight course towards Earth.
1: Okay. It has
0: made no attempt to communicate. Out of time and out of options... NASA turns to Jansen, but as the object reveals its secrets, Jansen and her crew find themselves in a desperate struggle for survival against the cold vacuum of space and something far, far worse.
1: Ooh, I'm getting a rival minority report, the Martian
0: <laughs> vibes. Yeah. 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 It's similar to those in some. Uh, Aspects, but you know what? I'm kind of cheating here because it feels like a horror sci fi adaptation of Rendezvous with Rama, the classic Arthur C. Clarke book that came out in 1973. Mm -hmm. That book was also about a large celestial object that is hurtling towards Earth or the solar system, rather, and no one on Earth knows what it's about or what's inside the object and so they go to explore it so Mm,
1: interesting i haven't read that
0: this book is kind of like a a more modern adaptation of clark's work but really emphasis on the horror and the author doesn't waste time with any of the preliminaries in the book that's what i really Mm. admired about it most is that the mission to space begins shortly after the book opens which is good and the action is constant from there Mm. there you know there's no hokey sci-fi drama mixed in the bad guy quote unquote of the book are the multiple dangers lurking inside the Mm. ship Mm -hmm. and it the world building is great because you're learning along with the characters and it's a real exploration it both magical but also horrifying I'm also a, a sucker for first contact stories. Yeah. Whether it's horror or not, Arrival is one of our favorite movies. It's and so good. It, this book has that same kind of mesmerizing feel to it. Is it the most elegant thing I've ever read in my life? No. I think the movie would need to make some tweaks. But at roughly 400 pages, it still feels very tight, very fast paced, doesn't meander at all. And what more can you ask for mm. in a. Mm-hmm an alien contact fun spaceship adventure.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it could be like a scarier arrival. Yes. Because arrival is so contemplative and slow. And ultimately, right, the contactors Mm -hmm. are not evil. (laughs) That's the whole point. They're there to spread peace. Yeah. But it sounds like this veers in the direction of scary. Yep. (laughs) Very scary.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So a director, I think, would be perfect for this pick. As someone who... I admire is David Bruckner. Now, he has directed three films, The Ritual, which came out in 2017. I watched that when I was house-sitting your parents' house but when we first started dating. I watched it. with. I was dog-sitting, all alone in the dark, couldn't sleep.
1: Yeah, and then you were texting me, and I was like, (laughs) why did you do that?
0: I don't (laughs) know why. It's a great film, though. David Bruckner also directed The Night House with Rebecca Hall. Great film.
1: Haven't seen it. And then
0: he really expanded with his remake of Hellraiser, which I saw at Mm -hmm. the Arrow last year, last October. Ugh,
1: don't bring them up. They have beef.
0: <laughs> and, fuck the arrow now. And uh, David Bruckner made an in-person appearance and did a Q&A. Great guy. I think... That's pretty cool. He proved in Hellraiser he can handle like special effects and heavy makeup and cool like slimy little creature stuff, mm. which is what he'd need to do in here. I'd love to see him pivot from horror to sci-fi horror. I, mm. think, I think he needs to... He needs to transform his career a bit. Not that it's been stale at all. I just mm. think this would be a, a new direction like for a good him. Next
1: step. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So yeah. Last astronaut, David Wellington.
1: Nice. All right. Nice.
0: Lore, your fourth pick. You're on the clock.
1: Wow, you kept that tight. <laughs> These are. <laughs> I'm almost scared to talk while you're you are because I'm mm-hmm. getting off out of the five minute zone. Um. Okay. So this this book again. I just picked up a Goodwill because I recognized the author and it really, really delighted me and, and surprised me. So my next pick is Caramella by Sandra Cisneros and people might recognize her name because she wrote The House on Mango Street, which you I was required that. to read in high school. I don't know how many people were, but that was one of the required readings I had in ninth grade. Mm. So a quick summary, this epic novel spans 100 years of Mexican history, inspired by her Mexican heritage and childhood in the barrio of Chicago, Illinois. And this kind of takes you between Chicago, but also Texas and Mexico. Mm. Uh, this is really like a a really deeply rooted mm-hmm. immigrant story. Again, the reason it really delighted me was it was so playful. It's written from the perspective of the narrator as a child. And the way that she describes things, it's it's not like you're seeing things through the eyes of a child. It's literally like you are the child. I, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> it was just me like the like child. <laughs> really? it's just really delightful. And it yeah. was like she lists things like if she's smelling something she'll list like five scents or if she's seeing an object she'll just list like six different adjectives to describe this thing it's just it's like you just get into this mode of thinking and the book is written as prose but like it's like poetry it really it surprised me it's a really interesting way of writing and again I'm gonna break our Mold a little bit, and I would say that this would actually be really well adapted, in my opinion, as an adult animation television show. (laughs) Yes, I want it to be playful, but I also really want it to be treated with a serious tone, just Mm -hmm. because, like I described in the summary, it is an epic novel that covers the story of this family. So I don't want it to be in the tone of like Encanto or Coco, which I really like. I really liked both of those films. I don't know that you saw either of them yet. No. But I don't want it to be as Disney. I think animation has proved in recent years that it can really expand what you can do with a story. Again, I feel like you get that playful energy where you can have really colorful experiences and then also kind of swing into the darker experiences like when her family doesn't have a lot of money sure. or they're experiencing the mexican civil war there's a lot of dark stuff so i think that animation would actually treat this ver- those two tones very well right i have been thinking about a potential cast for this one because i'd be really excited to see this i i love gina rodriguez yeah from jane the virgin i think she would do really well as like one of the older characters, mm-hmm. and then I was thinking maybe Jenna Ortega, who's like super hot right she, now, yeah, coming off of fire. Wednesday, and she was actually also in Jane the Virgin. I will say I loved her as younger Jane. And that, in
0: you season two. Oh
1: my gosh, that fucking show <laughs> will never. That fucking show will never die. No, she's uh, everywhere. The, she, in the know,
0: new screen movies, in uh, X, she was in she's X. yeah
1: blaming hot right now and like i said i discovered her in jane the virgin i thought she was really great so i i might want her as like one of the older versions of the main character i was thinking maybe selma hayek would be really good as like the mother character and then rena marino i thought would be good as the Mm. grandmother
0: star of 80 for brady (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, known for her academy award <laughs> nominated role in 80, 80 for, for isn't that a show is that emmy i guess it would be nominated for an emmy i think no, it's, it's a movie, show oh so it is a movie yeah, yeah. even dumber okay <laughs> um and then i was also thinking america ferrera i don't see her in a lot and i wish i saw her in more because i grew up watching ugly betty
0: she's been traveling with her pants
1: <laughs> that was a long time ago <laughs> That was a long time ago. So anyway, I thought that those would be really fun characters to introduce to this as voice actors. And then I also just wanted to pitch Patricia Cardoso, who directed Real Women Have Curves, because not only is she a director, she's also an anthropologist. And so I was thinking for this to be the story of a family throughout this 100 years, she would have a really keen eye of what to look for to keep things grounded in reality. Interesting choice. That's my pitch, Caramella by Sandra Cisneros.
0: Nice. Well, you were talking about breaking the rules with that choice. I'm going to break the rules here too. Oh shit. My next...
1: Watch him go. He's going to go off.
0: Yeah. My next book, or should I say novella... Okay. I think should be adapted into a short film. A long short film, oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> like something like 30 to 40 minutes.
1: What what is a short film? Is there a
0: So kind feature of an average feature length is 70 minutes. So technically anything under that. Okay. But there have been movies that have been like 60 to 69 minutes that have been nominated before. So Okay. There's some blurred lines here. But but...
1: you're using the Academy Award definition of short film? Sure. Just wondering. Why not? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes. Okay. And this is going to get a little creepy. Okay. I'm covering the novella, Dear Laura.
1: Okay. I've never (laughs) heard of this.
0: By Gemma Amore, written in 2019. Buckle up.
1: Nice. Okay.
0: Synopsis. (laughs)
1: Start the clock. Start the clock. Start the clock.
0: Oh, I forgot to start clock. Sorry, 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 sorry. sorry. Okay, starting the clock. <laughs> Penalize me ten seconds. All right. <laughs> Synopsis: Every year, on her birthday, Laura gets a letter from a stranger. That stranger claims to know the whereabouts of her missing friend, Bobby. But there's a catch.
1: There always is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. He'll only tell her what he knows in exchange for something something personal so begins laura's sordid relationship with her new pen pal built on a foundation of quid pro quo her quest for closure will push her to bizarre acts of humiliation harm yet no matter how hard she tries she cannot escape her correspondence demands okay Okay, so (laughs) Listeners, you might read this and say, Danny, what's wrong with you? Is, <laughs> yeah. is something going on there in your <laughs> head? Yes, it is dark and disturbing, but it is also gripping, extremely suspenseful, and I think it deals with these very triggering topics such as trauma, the death of a child. I think it does deals with them in a sensitive manner that lends itself well believe it or not to film hmm. because it does have this thread of so this woman throughout the years starting on her 13th birthday going to all the way to the age of 44 oh, she's
1: 13 yeah oh, wow. it starts it okay. starts there
0: Ooh. but i think because the whole time you're wondering who is this person sending these letters and again deals with very sensitive subject matter in I, th- I think in a cool, inventive way where it can talk about these heavy themes, but it can also be just a suspense thriller on mm-hmm. its own, too. Short and sweet, 100 pages would make for a smash-out 30-minute short film. I think the key here is it has an incredibly cathartic ending. You need to have mm. a satisfying yeah. ending uh, for a story like this. And, yeah, I was hesitant going into this novella that it wouldn't work out because I found it because of the name. I'm like, dear Laura, of oh, yeah. course I'm going to I was going to ask, yeah, this.
1: how you figured that.
0: But it totally knocked me out. It's not for everyone. Again, it, I, I would say it's vivid and disturbing without being grotesque, mm-hmm. right? It, it's, not, it's not trashy. Mm-hmm. And something like this very easily could go down that road. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's extremely well written by... Gemma Amor. I I can't wait to look at her other uh, writing. Uh,
1: Yeah. Interesting. It reminds me a little bit from your description of the girl with the dragon tattoo. Yes.
0: Yes. Similar, similar vibes in that this killer is sending the friends or family of the victim letters. Mm -hmm. But of course it veers widely in that it covers a a much longer time. Mm -hmm. The ending is also much different takes place in america too so yeah there's all that so dear laura i'm talking to you dear laura oh i love
1: you (laughs) but also
0: read this book and make it about valentine's day so
1: i hope i get a dear laura valentine card but from you not yeah not from the
0: character in this book yeah all right that's my pick
1: i think that we were gonna list a few honorable mentions yes because we did read a bunch of things that didn't quite make the list for Mm -hmm. one reason or another. I think we both have three?
0: Yes. Honorable? I have three.
1: Okay. So we can alternate. (laughs) Again, we're just drawing this out before our final choices. I started with the list. So do you want to start with your honorable mention? We'll Uh, bounce back and forth.
0: Yeah. My first choice is the nonfiction book, a Death in Belmont, written by Sebastian Younger.
1: Oh, is that not a movie? I feel like I've heard that.
0: Yeah, no. So it's. Um, oh, I just
1: heard of the book. That's weird.
0: It's about the Boston Strangler uh, who terrorized Boston in the 1960s.
1: Oh, I already want to read the book. Yeah. I love true crime. Um,
0: it's so well written. Sebastian Younger is. More of a reporter mm-hmm. than he is, like a straight novel writer, mm-hmm. but he writes a great book, mm-hmm. clearly. Mm-hmm. And it's so fascinating to hear about the case, the murders, the arrest of one man, and then another man comes forward claiming that he's the Boston Strangler. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's a fallout of, of the case, right? And, you know, one person's convicted, the other's not, and then, you know, there's a lot of politics that go into it. Mm. It's really fun how the actual case played out is not... It's not that it's anticlimactic. It just doesn't lend itself to, like, a plot structure. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I don't this is thi- coming from
1: the plot guy.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. I, I, I don't see it... Because it's just not... There's no real... It's not that there's no catharsis. Is that there? there's very different interpretations, which is the point of the book. Mm. So the movie would have to pick a side. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that w- would work out because you would piss off one group, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it doesn't feel like it could be a movie to me, mm-hmm. but it's so well well written that I just want everyone to read it. Okay.
1: Nice. Nice. My first honorable mention is The Winter of Our Discontent by John Steinbeck. Mm-hmm. I read this the first time when I was in high school and I remember it really being enamored yeah and to be fair I still think that this could be made into a movie but the big problem is just it needs to be updated from its 1961 perspective (laughs) there's a lot of stuff it would need to be overhauled and what I remember the book being is one thing and then after reading it a second time recently I realized that I completely kind of rewrote the ending in my mind to what it probably could have made it better Mm -hmm. but it goes on for like three extra chapters that just don't need to be in there and kind of the tension is keyed up to this one event and then there's a twist that happens and that really is where the book should have stopped Mm -hmm. and there's just so much that would need to be overhauled that I think that it's just I would want to take a deep dive into it. And yeah. so it's it's just not something that I wanted to discuss in this episode, but it would be super, super fun. Honestly, I feel like this is like Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, fodder. Yeah. They would do really well with this movie. They just have to update it and change the ending to cut the last three chapters or so.
0: Gotcha. But okay.
1: it could be fun. Yeah. It just needs to be kind of you should excavated. Write it. I would love... I love John Steinbeck. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but he's also a white man in the 60s, so he's a little racist.
0: (laughs) My second pick is Intercepts by T.J. Payne. So it's about the secret government facility who puts subjects in sensory deprivation tanks. Mm -hmm. And the conceit of the novel is prolonged exposure to sensory deprivation tanks makes you... One, crazy, but also able to read minds and to astral project yourself. Interesting. It is fascinating. The reason it's not in my top five is because it is way too similar to Stranger Things. Almost. There are some hmm. beats that are exactly the same, like from, you know, taking subjects, shaving their head, putting them in
1: water Mm -hmm, tanks, mm -hmm.
0: uh, having them spy on, you know, enemies of America, Mm. that sort of thing. I feel like if it was adapted, everyone would be like, this is ripping off Stranger Which Things. Which
1: one came out first? Stranger Things. Oh, eh, okay. It came out
0: first, yeah. Intercepts was in 2019. It came out. But I'm including it in my honorable mentions because I think it is really well written, has a great ending, and the Terror is more similar to, say, The Shining, and kind of mm. this thing that you can't really explain, but your body is overtaken with, this frozen literal <laughs> horror
1: mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. like a lot intercepts nice nice so I, my next honorable mention is not on my top five list for a similar reason as the winter of our Discontents. this is the bean trees by barbara kingsolver mm. and i again i remember liking it when i read it in high school and then on a reread i think the criticisms of it are very fair I think that King Solver appropriated a lot of cultures that weren't... It, it, it comes off as like a very shallow read of like, you know, we're not so different, you and me. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> and it, it, it's just not a real deep look at racial interactions. So I think the core of the story is great. You know, you have this really poor kind of white trash girl who finally escapes her hometown, not pregnant. She graduates high school. Yay. Mm -hmm. And then the first thing that happens to her on her travels west is that she's given an infant child. Yeah. So I think that kernel, it's, it's a wonderful look at female relationships. But again, there's just so much surrounding it that you'd have to cull in order to update it to like a 2023 stories that we haven't seen on the screen yet. Fair. so that one would just have to be overhauled too gotcha but,
0: i remember reading that in high school and struggling
1: which is funny because you were like oh i hate that that book and i was like no it's good like it's definitely gonna make my top five and then you were definitely vindicated i don't know what you didn't like about it i wouldn't it back say then, i hate but...
0: it i don't want the feminists to come after me <laughs> i am a feminist too but
1: it's not <laughs> i mean there are a lot of t- there are a lot of sure. things that yeah i don't like about that book so anyway
0: not enough beans all right (laughs) Right so my (laughs) my third honorable mention is blindsight by peter watts you might Mm -hmm. recognize that name peter watts i picked his book the freeze frame revolution Mm -hmm. for um Mm -hmm. the last episode so this book is another alien contact book shocker Shocker. (laughs) but it also has to deal with questions like oh i don't know the meaning of life. And also, does it hurt when you get bitten by an alien vampire? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. The only reason why this uh, isn't on my list is I uh, haven't finished it yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> ran, ran out of time. I'm only halfway through it, um, so I can't in good conscience put it on this list, although I'm having a great time.
1: That it's always a risk. I've done that so many times where i I start recommending a book and I'm like, this is so good, yeah. and then like the last two pages, I'm like, fuck, yeah. don't, don't read the right. book.
0: So I, yeah. I'm I'll keep everyone updated on Blind sight, but Stay I really safe. like it a lot. Yeah, Stay
1: <laughs> safe. I like that. Good choice. Um, <laughs> my third runner-up is a James Bond short story. That for whatever goddamn reason has never made it into a James Bond movie. This is the short story, Octopussy.
0: Not to be confused with the film Octopussy. Exactly. Which is another short story, correct? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's based on another short, like a collection of short stories. Gotcha. Centered around James Bond. So uh, I feel like I've told, I've ranted about this so many times. I'm not even going to cover the story It's just hard to pitch this as something that should be a movie because it really could be like a flashback in a James Bond movie. Sure. Because it kind of gives like a backstory of a villain. And it's just so good and succinct and smart. And it's a very slow burn. But it's just so frustrating to watch so many Bond movies. And you're like, that's such a dumb villain. (laughs) or Such a bad Bond movie. And to have the source material just sitting there... I don't know why it hasn't been used, but it, as a short story, it can't be physically made into a full movie. Gotcha. It would have to just be like a flashback for a villain's backstory. Gotcha. Um, it just needs to, It and I don't know, you know, Daniel Craig isn't Bond anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they're going to reboot it. They certainly will. Yeah. But I'd really like to see this in a Bond movie. Interesting. End of rant. Yeah,
0: I'm always down for Bond. Yeah. Are you kidding me?
1: It's so good.
0: I bet. Well, we've arrived at our fifth and final pick. Lore, do us proud.
1: All right, I'm so excited to talk about this novel. This was inspired by you reading The Only Good Indians. I found this at Goodwill. <laughs> And that
0: is your third pick. Found yeah, will. Okay. I'm
1: pretty sure every single one of these books I found at Goodwill. I I saw the cover. I immediately was intrigued. I opened the front, and it was published in 2020. So this is a pretty new novel. Yeah, by David Heska Wanblee Wyden, who is Changu. I hope I said that right. Lakota. This is his first full length novel. And I'm just going to read the summary because it's so good. You're going to love this book. I picked it up specifically for you and you never got around to it. And thank goodness you didn't because yet, yet. but I'm glad because then I get to keep this on as my number one top pick. Let's hear it. So Virgil Wounded Horse is the local enforcer on the Rosebud Indian Reservation in South Dakota. When justice is denied by the American legal system or the tribal council Virgil is hired to deliver his own punishment, the kind that's hard to forget. But when heroin makes its way onto the reservation and finds Virgil's nephew, his vigilanteism suddenly becomes personal. He enlists the help of his ex-girlfriend and sets out to learn where the drugs are coming from and how to make them stop.
0: Where are the other drugs coming?
1: <laughs> Batman begins. Yeah, Batman. <laughs> um, so this this book is so fucking good. <laughs> like, yeah. I literally cannot... Gritty. It's so much fun, and there's something to be said for a narrative that focuses on an Indian reservation with Indian characters that's not fully about, like, generational trauma and, you know, really intense themes, kind of like what Flight talks about. Or this cr- is... Crota. Or Crota. This is just a really straightforward Pretty much detective novel. Love that. And I just like this is nonstop action. Like in the opening scene of the book, Virgil is waiting for this bad guy to come out of a bar at night so that he can beat the shit out of him because he's been hired to.
0: I'm in. (laughs) Say no more. And he does.
1: He does it. He beats the shit out of him. Literally say no more. Yeah. It also brings Virgil into conflict with his native traditions and cultures. Um, He's also fiercely protective of his family, especially his nephew, who he's become sort of the guardian for. And it's just, it's just fun. Like I said, there's something to be said for just a straightforward way to normalize having like indigenous characters in a detective story. There are a couple things that I don't like. Number one, the end is a little bit abrupt. Mm Mm-hmm. And without spoiling anything, because I really do want you to read it and enjoy it. Yeah. I didn't like how the end wrapped everything up. It was a, it was a little too clean. Mm. And I think that like that would... Like a
0: little one, bit shaggier.
1: Yeah, I wanted it a little grittier because the whole story is just so like blood, guts, yeah. punches, beatings, like all this stuff. It's really fun. And it's also a great... It, there is a lot of detective work. And i really like how it really unfolds and there are surprises and you know the female characters are pretty well written love that yeah (laughs) so that's that's really i guess that's really my only gripe with it is that it's just the ending just just a little bit of a letdown and for this one i also do have a potential cast let's hear it for virgil he's the only one that i really could cast but i really like zon McLaren. we talked about him interesting
0: Yeah. Okay, go ahead.
1: (laughs) We talked about him in Doctor Sleep, which as a movie sucked, but (laughs) I liked it. I dumb (laughs) didn't like that, but he was was he was great in it. He's also in Bone Tomahawk, which you saw and really liked. Um, he's in Fargo and he's in Reservation <laughs> he's, Dogs. He's
0: sick in Fargo. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, season two of mm-hmm. Fargo. He, he, incredible. Yeah. Love this actor. So
1: I think everything that we've seen him in, we've really liked. And to top it off, he's Lakota. So I feel like he'd be a really Perfect. prime cast choice for this. Um, and like I said, I don't have a director cause I feel like this is another one yeah. that would have to be. That's all right. Indigenous produced. It's and our
0: podcast, you know. No one's penalized. I know.
1: Me. Well, all I'm saying is just, you know, it's it's a bummer that I can't just off the top of my head oh, name right. an indigenous director. Yeah, it, just...
0: it is tough. Yeah. I had to look up the director of Wild Indian because I was not, mm,
1: I did not know yeah. his name. So it yeah.
0: speaks to a, lo- a much larger problem.
1: So anyway, yeah, please make this a movie. Please. And go read it too because it's awesome. Amen. A24, Plan B. Are you listening? Anyone?
0: Great pull of Plan <laughs> B. Not many people know. I...
1: Brad Pitt makes good movies.
0: That's true. Both as an actor and producer. Yeah. All right. My fifth and final pick. It's funny that you said Zon McLarnan because uh, I'm picking him for a role in this movie. Oh, it's no also, way. This was not planned at all. But yes, we do have a theme of uh, Native American stories it, running honestly, all through our... Honestly,
1: it was 100% inspired by you reading The Only Good Indians because after you talked about that, I was like, you know what? I've only read... Sherman Alexie, so mm. I should probably expand my indigenous writer base.
0: Right. Well, this final book is not from a Native American author, but it does have a Native American character in it, and it is just a blast, okay? okay. I'm covering 40 Lashes Less One by Elmore Leonard.
1: Oh, our guy, oh, oh boy, our rum punch guy. Yeah,
0: written in 1972. This is one of his first books. Leonard used to write westerns before he pivoted to crime novels. Gotcha. Um, okay, so, synopsis The hell called Yuma Prison. Side note Elmore Leonard wrote 310 to Yuma, so that's what. No oh, way! Yeah. Uh, well, I did okay. know that. Yep, back to. The hell called Yuma Prison in the early 1900s can destroy the soul of any man, and it's worse for those whose damning crime is the color of their skin. The law says Apache Raymond San Carlos and black former soldier Harold Jackson are murderers and they'll stay behind bars until they're dead and rotting. But even in the worst place on earth, there's hope. And for two hard and hated inmates, first enemies, then allies by necessity, it waits at the end of a mad and violent contest on a bloody trail that winds towards Arizona's five most dangerous men. Yep. This is a shoot up Western. Hell yeah. And it's fun. And I think you'll love this. There's a great thread throughout the book. So it's about Harold, who's black, and Raymond, who's Native American, in this time, which was not... 1900s Arizona was not nice to these two groups
1: 2023 is not nice to these true snaps
0: (laughs) um but obviously it deals with stuff like racism but it has a thread about religion in it too because this prison has a new warden called mr Manley, who is this bible thumping you know (laughs) do-gooder and he tries to teach harold and raymond about christianity in in an effort to cheer them up
1: Hmm. right because they're (laughs)
0: because they're in hell on earth which is yuma but in doing so he ends up teaching them the completely wrong lessons (laughs) and the title 40 lashes less one that that's a a quote from the bible that's what jesus received as he was being nailed to the cross and basically mr manley teaches harold and raymond to be these like expert killer assassins <laughs> I love it. and so the book is about that but it also deals with uh harold and raymond getting revenge on frank shelby and his gang of goons Ooh. which are in prison with them and so the second half of the novel there's this big escape which is so thrilling mm. it would work so well on screen so mr manley he's gained their trust and vice versa so he dispatches harold and raymond as these Uh, bounty hunters essentially Mm. and it is so cool to see this dynamic of people who are also in prison who are being used to hunt down other prisoners Mm -hmm. uh there's also nothing more cathartic and satisfying than seeing minority groups get back at their oppressors
1: for sure yeah
0: yeah that's what tarantino understood with both django unchained and inglorious bastards right those are two of the most satisfying movies ever and yes quentin tarantino is white Mm. and yes elmer leonard is white but i think it's written with with sensitivity and grace and a sense of fun that perhaps elmer leonard didn't have in rum punch (laughs) um I, yeah. I think this is well done. Yeah, the trigger warning there, you know, the white people talk like white people would in the 1900s.
1: And do. We haven't come that far. Uh, <laughs> you
0: know, towards Harold. But it's just so fun and great dialogue. Speaking mm. of Tarantino, he bought the rights to this in the early really? 2000s. But the last update. For what he was going to do was in 2015. Saying like, yeah, I might make this. But it's been radio silence ever since. And actually... That's so
1: weird.
0: I think Tarantino might overwrite this movie. If mm. he were to adapt the script. Because mm-hmm. yeah. the book is super short. You know, my audiobook was six hours. Like, chef's kiss. <laughs> perfect length, right? Mm. I read it in a day. Or mm-hmm. listened to it in a day, rather. So I think... Just like Chazelle with Five Decembers, I think Tarantino would need to be reined back, which he's in a point in his career where that's not happening. Mm-hmm. So right. I would actually pick uh, Scott Frank for the director. He So he was the screenwriter for other Elmore Leonard movies, such as Out of Sight, Get Shorty. Frank also adapted Minority Report, which we just mm. covered the other day. And he was the showrunner for Godless, which is was a Western show. Mm. Um, but also The Queen's Gambit. He was the showrunner for that. Interesting so he choice. clearly is deft with the camera, great at writing, mm. great at adapting stuff, especially Elmore Leonard. And this is just fun. It's just a fun Western Great characters, really funny. A great revenge plot, a lot of drama, compelling action. It's the real deal.
1: Yeah, yeah that sounds great. I I am surprised that um, Tarantino hadn't right ha- like didn't have plans.
0: I- I'm surprised At he d- he made Django Unchained over this because hmm. I feel like this it 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 has the black character but it also has the ad- added element of the native american character and they become friends and you know first enemies then friends it's very satisfying to see yeah that. Definitely. so yeah 40 lashes less one you'll have a blast
1: yeah oh I, you've definitely pitched it well i'm yeah. interested in reading this and it like i don't know like i guess with a lot of these it's just it's a head scratcher as yeah. to why and especially if quentin tarantino owns the rights to this i can't imagine that he would make this as his swan song because no. it does sound really similar to other movies that he's already made. Yeah. So, like, hot potato those rights, buddy. Like, I, get this into the hands of someone that can make this. I, I
0: can't believe I'm saying this, but, well, yeah, I think yeah. Tarantino should give up. Yeah, because yeah. it's not a carbon copy of, of Django, of course, because Django took place during the slave times, but I, I think someone like tarantino should adapt it and frank is that man scott Mm. frank so 40 lashes all right well deep breath here what a whirlwind i want to do a quick recap of all our choices then let's get the heck out of here
1: yeah yeah good idea let's recap so my first choice was red rising by pierce brown
0: great choice people are gonna go
1: nuts for that
0: uh, my first choice <laughs> tim was. tim will yeah
1: freaking nerd i <laughs> can't stop talking about this just kidding you're great nah, tim <laughs> you're cool bro
0: um, my first choice was five decembers by james kestrel
1: my second choice was the second coming by joe gorez
0: my second choice was Croda by owl going back
1: my third choice was flight by sherman alexi
0: My third choice was The Last Astronaut by David Wellington.
1: My fourth choice was Caramella by Sandra Cisneros.
0: My fourth choice was Dear Laura by Gemma Amor. Apologies in advance.
1: (laughs) And my fifth and final, please make this into a movie, goddammit someone, is Winter Counts by David Heska Wombley Wyden. Nice.
0: And my fifth choice for, please, what the heck, gosh darn it, make this into a, a friggin' movie, you pinheads, <laughs> is 40 Lashes Less One by Elmore Leonard. Wow. Well, yeah. knowing our luck, none of these will get adapted, <laughs> but one can dream.
1: One can dream. One podcast or can or dream. one can rise into a great director with a scrappy budget.
0: Maybe us. Well, I'm looking at
1: you. Uh, Yeah, and I'm looking at
0: you to write the darn thing (laughs) because I struggle with that.
1: (laughs) I'm good at directing,
0: though. So, you are
1: great at directing. Yeah. Yeah. So, give us some money, please. Money.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Great picks, Lore. And again, funny, but also telling that we have this thread of Native American stories without. We we did not discuss this beforehand. Also,
1: our choices tended toward the dark. (laughs) Yeah. I think (laughs) something. Again, I think
0: something might be up.
1: Something's a Bruin. Something wicked this way comes. Ooh. Shakespeare.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Romeo, right? All right. No, no, that's Macbeth. (laughs) No, I know. I'm
1: just kidding. (laughs) You didn't know. Um, All right. Thanks
0: for listening, team, and we'll see you on the next one.